Because, you know, being on drugs has nothing to do with whether or not he stole some stuff from the people that he was house-sitting from. Like, this is getting really good. If you had to drive around and everywhere you went, there were huge billboards of your ex-wife getting hammered by her new husband, it would be exactly like that, except a hundred million times worse. He actually literally is a rat-faced dog. Hey, Stan Class, welcome to the uh, bitterest pill. Yeah, I'm in my garage. Did I say it's Dan? Yeah, it's Dan. I'm in my garage. I just took, listen, let's start the way we always do, shall we? Um, I just took, uh, some migraine medicine. I've been off. You've been, you'd be very proud of me. I've been off the caffeine. I've been off the caffeine actually for a long time now, but, um, but I got a, attention, technical malfunction, technical malfunction, attention. Let's try this again, but apparently I'm going to have to keep an eye on the recording. It said it was going too slow. Does that even make sense to you? There's no... <laughs> All right. We'll quit, was... we'll quit Safari. We'll see how it goes. Should we start again? Take two. <laughs> hey, it's Dan Class. This is The Bitterest Pill. I think you know that because you downloaded it and you had to click on something. You had to sync something. There was a website or something. Some active thing happened. This was not by accident. You didn't just walk down the street and it, this was playing out of Best Buy. So I think it's a little ridiculous when I say, hey, everybody, it's Dad Class about the bitter pill and you're in my garage, right? I mean, obviously, I'm in my garage. You know that. You know that. What I really want to know is this. Do you like it when I say that or do you feel like I feel when I'm binge watching something on Netflix and I have to sit through some TV show's opening title sequence for the 14th time in 14 hours? It's even worse with half hour shows. Like, I don't need, I just don't need your opening credits. I know it's maybe some union contractual obligate. I don't, I don't need it. We don't need it. I know. I've heard your theme song. I get it. I know who created the show, right? It was Genji Cohen. I know who created your show. I can't even think of who. Or the Wazowskis. How do you say Wazowskis? Is it Wazowskis? It is Wazowskis, right? The, the siblings who made The Matrix and then Sense8. Should we talk about Sense8? There's so much to talk about. Let's, should we talk about... So much has happened... First of all, so much has happened since... Uh, like a week after the last podcast. Even just in the last like five days, so much has happened. I don't know if we can get into... I cannot dissect the current state of the nation and tell you about jury duty. I don't know that I can do that. We can briefly discuss, you want to discuss current events for just a moment? Listen, I, I'll i tell you, I have no mixed feelings about the Confederate flag. I'm glad they're coming down. I don't really know why we weren't even talking about it for the last, I don't know, 100 years. Uh, I, th I mean, to be an African-American living in the South and to see on government buildings a Confederate flag, I think for white, the problem has been for white people, there's been no uh allegory to that there's been no you can't make an analogy that a white person could even begin to understand comparing it what it must be like for an african-american to see a confederate flag the only thing i can think of is if you had to drive around and everywhere you went there were huge billboards of your ex-wife getting hammered by her new husband 
It would be exactly like that, except a hundred million times worse. Okay, so I have to imagine that for an African-American, and if you're an African-American listener of this program, please validate my analogy, because this is this is the best I can do. I would imagine seeing a Confederate flag would be like seeing your ex-wife taking it hard and fast. But maybe like a waiter or something times a gajillion. Yes or no? Now, do I think we have to take the Dukes of Hazard off the air? No, you're being stupid now. Do I think... Uh, well, Periscope's gone. Do I think... Um, I'm not going to go... I'm not going to get Periscope back. I don't care. We're done. We're done. Okay? Tweet me. If you want to converse with me, tweet me. I, I, I need to bring a wife... Uh, I need to bring internet cable on a cable in here, and I don't want to do it because I'm going to have to dig under the house. I don't care. I'm going to do it. I don't care. Yeah, I think taking, you know, video games offline <laughs> that it, that have Confederate flags. You know, the Civil War actually did happen. It happened. One side won, one side lost. Certain things, emancipation, brought, that all actually happened. So I don't think we need to sweep it under the rug. We just don't need this weird, misguided sort of like... What is the Confederate flag a celebration of? People are arguing that it's part of their culture. What What culture? What culture? The culture of what? Missing slaves? Is that your culture? I'm not impressed. All my gay friends can get married now. If you don't know how I feel about that, uh, you haven't been paying attention. I'll, I'll put it this way. I used to have a lot of Christian listeners back in the early days of podcasting. And then a couple of times I made my ve- my viewpoints clear my opinion of uh, gay marriage, and then I didn't have that many Christian... I'm just saying. I will say this. Um, what I know of Jesus, pretty sure if he were here now, he would be all for gay marriage. I just... I just really? Is that You don't think so? Yeah, I do. I don't care. I don't know what Bible you're reading. I don't care how you're interpreting it. I think if there was a Jesus, he was the human manifestation of God's love for man. All of his children, if God made us all in his image, I think, right, it bears to reason that we should try to love each other, all of us. And we should let us, let our brothers, let our sisters be happy and be in love and get married. And if you think it's a religious thing that we're taking marriage away from religion, you know, Marriage has only been a religious institution for a very short amount of time. I'm bad with numbers, so I'm not going to lay numbers on you. But listen, marriage used to be uh, just to keep from being killed by the neighboring tribe. You know what I'm saying? If you got two tribes and they hate each other, the best thing to do is get one of the women from one of the tribes to marry one of the guys from the other tribe. See, now the two tribes, they won't kill each other. That's all it is. That, the same with royalty, you, if you, right? We're going to be in a war with France. Maybe we should uh, give them one of our women. The religious thing came much, much later. And I'm not saying that religion shouldn't be a part of marriage. It just needn't be a part of marriage. And it's not an excuse to withhold rights of people that you don't understand. I don't know, I lost where I was going with that sentence. This is take two or three of the show. Did you know that? Did I mention that? 
that I started and then it stopped and then I started and it stopped. I had computer problems. So, so a couple things. Number one, this is take like two or three. So I don't really know what I've talked about yet. And I started getting a migraine right before I started and I took an Excedrin. So I'm going to be a little wired and uh, a little loopy for this. I'm just saying. So now that I only have one person still, right, we've lost the South and we've lost uh, the Christians. So who's left? <laughs> my my Northeastern uh, atheists. Welcome, brothers and sisters. So it's already getting warm in here in the studio. Which is a shame. Let's talk about um, jury duty. Because, listen. It seems like for a long time I was able to get out of jury duty. Like for a really long time. Maybe 20 years. Maybe 20 years I was very successful at getting out of jury duty. And then about six years ago, it could have been five years ago, I don't know. I couldn't get out of it anymore. And I don't remember what the circumstances were. Maybe it was during that weird period where Melissa was working here at the house that I just went and did jury duty. And really all I had to do that day is I, I only did one day. I just sat in that room. I sat in that room and I read or something. And then around three or four in the afternoon, they said I could go home and I was done. And I was done. Like that was it for the thing. I was just done, right? Yeah, I'm going to have to open the door soon. Is that going to is that going to distract you if I open the door? Hold on, I got to open the door. This is not going to go well. Okay. So you know how I get about the sounds. I'm just going to ignore the sounds. But if you hear weird sounds, it's because the door of the studio is open. And I'm sorry, but I have to open the door. It's the 3rd, 3rd of July in Southern California. It's getting a little steamy in here. So, okay, so. Apparently, according to the city of Los Angeles, which is where I am, I could no longer get out of jury duty. Jury, getting out of jury duty was no longer an option. Dan, get your ass down here. And they kept saying, and everybody kept saying, well, being the primary caregiver of children apparently is just no longer good enough. But because I had postponed a couple of times, instead of having me go to one of the courts that are right here, like there's one within one mile and one within a mile and a half, maybe. They were dragging my ass downtown. Which in the morning, because you have to be there at 9 or 9.30, whatever it is, in the morning, that's an hour. An hour in street, like bumper bump traffic, right? Okay, so that sounds great. So basically, here I am. I'm a guy that doesn't have time, right? I have children to pick up at 2.30 or 3 o'clock. I got to drive them around. I know you don't care, city of Los Angeles. But, but what exactly am I supposed to do? So I even go to the court and I say, hey, court, you know, mm -mm -mm, I can't do this. And they say, well, you can postpone. So I postpone. But no one can answer my question, which is, hey, what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to hire someone and pay them essentially more than I make to watch my kids while I do my quote unquote civic duty? How about you just call for jury duty, the person I would hire? Because it seems to me jury duty is for people that have jobs whereby they can get out of going to work, go to jury duty, and still get paid. See, if I go to jury duty, not only am I not getting paid, but I have to pay 
for someone to go, I, who's even going to do that? Uber? Go pick up one of my kids, bring them home, go pick up my other kid, bring her home, feed her a snack and drive her to dance. I don't, that, that's not going to happen. Have we talked about this yet? So eventually I did run into some very nice woman at the court and I don't even remember how we got into this. Maybe I just said offhandedly that I had to postpone again. Like I had done for two or three times where I drive all the way to downtown and I try to postpone. And I finally said to some woman who seemed nice, you got to look for those. Listen, baby. And I don't think I called her baby, but I felt like baby. Baby, listen, ma'am, madam, whatever, whatever word is going to right ingratiate you to me i can't drive here from i live at the airport and you're dragging me downtown there's got to be a way i could probably do listen at this point i will do jury duty if you will just move me and she says oh you can do jury duty if they just move you and i'm like yeah i guess so if i only had to drive for 10 minutes instead of 60 minutes i could probably do jury duty because at the end of the day, if it only took me 10 minutes to go pick up my daughter instead of an hour, hour and a half, I could probably swing that. Okay. So she sends me over to another building and I talk to Mr. Banks or whatever his name was. And he sets me up and they actually transfer me. Okay, fine. So this is going to be great. So my plan is I'm going to show up for jury duty on the day. They're only going to make me sit there till three or four. Like before, I'm going to read a book or whatever. They're going to send me home and I'll be golden for a couple of more years. Well, that is not what happened. Now, the part where I go only 10 minutes away from the house, that part happened. But then what happened? The part happens where I sit in the room, but then the part didn't happen where I sit there till three or four and then I go home. What happened happened was the part where they call my name and have me go upstairs to a specific courtroom where they're going to have a specific trial for a specific judge against a specific, right, defendant. Oh, no. So, yeah, man, I've never done this before. This is weird. So we go in and we is like, I don't know what, 30 people maybe? I don't know. Let's say 30. I don't know how many it was. So 30 people go in the room and in this room is the judge. Very funny guy. Thank God. The judge wasn't a jerk. The judge was this laid back, funny man. Thank, thank you, Lord. Lord William Shatner, thank you. So they bring us all in and in there are the defense attorneys, the defendant, yeah, the defendant is right there, and the prosecuting attorney, and then a, a detective. And to say that these people are all, except for the defendant, stereotypes is the understatement of the universe. The defense attorney is an older gentleman, could easily have been 69, and his equally aged I don't know who, female associate. I don't even remember if they actually introduced her. I think his generation of man doesn't introduce her generation of woman. So they were there. They were defending the defendant. The prosecuting attorney was a 
was what I how I would describe her as a, an uptight power Asian. Now, I know that sounds racist, but you know exactly what I'm talking about. She's a woman. I'm describing her. I'm not making gender or race uh, judgments. I am merely describing a person, and then you are going to take those judgments. You're going to put, see, I'm, I'm just a conduit for your prejudices, okay? Very uptight woman, the kind of woman, you don't meet these kind of people that often, but you think, you know, I wonder, has she ever smiled? Ever. Really serious, never smiled, very slim, power Asian woman. The detective was seven feet tall, six feet wide, and probably zero percent body fat. Huge, very stern looking African American detective in an enormous suit. Enormous suit. He was an enormous human. And then the defendant. Now, the defendant actually kind of was just sort of like, I guess you would call him a stock white guy. He was just like a white guy, tallish, you know, maybe 5'10-ish. For, for me, that's tall. I'm, I'm shrinking. I'm five, six and a half now. Okay. So tall-ish for me, tiny person. Uh, like I say, Caucasian, very short, balding hair, kind of like my hair, but but shaved down closer. Little wire rim glasses, maybe. Not unattractive. A uh, suit on, gray suit. It looked, you know, well put together-ish, right? So these are the characters that we're going to be dealing with, right? The laid-back, funny judge. Very learned African-American man. He's probably been on the bench for 30, I mean, 30 years. Who knows? This I, I, th- This judge was a dream come true. Thank Just seriously. Oh, my God. I would have gone berserk if it hadn't been for this judge. I'm not joking. So what they have to do is they have to find a jury, right? Okay, so they have to find a jury. And, and maybe you've been on juries 100 times, so maybe this is all going to be boring to you. I don't know, but I've never been through this process. So... For the next day and a half, two days, three, it could have been five days. It felt like forever. They go through and make all these statements. And if you agree, blah, 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 blah. okay, so he gives us the judge, the his honor, gives us the basic instructions, explains to us shadow of a doubt and all that stuff, a reasonable doubt, excuse me, that it's not shadow of a doubt, it's reasonable doubt, which was a relief to me because I could never find anyone guilty beyond a shadow of a doubt, but, but reasonable doubt works for me, right? So, you know, is everyone here, can everyone here honestly say that they can listen to testimony, be open-minded and objective and blah, 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 and reasonable doubt, and you understand reasonable doubt, and we all raise yes, okay, fine. So, they now need to find, what is it, a 12-person jury and five, six alternates or whatever it is, right? Let's say it's 12 and 6. That might not be accurate, but that's what we're going to say for the point of today, right? So, they give us a questionnaire thing, right? And they say, listen, we're going to randomly select 18 people. We're going to have them come up here. Then we're going to ask them all the questions on this sheet. And everybody gets a sheet. And we're going to go through all of them one by one. Boom, 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 boom. It's going to take a long time. 
you're going to go stir crazy. But when we're done, then we're going to excuse some people. They're going to fill those seats. Then we're going to keep going until we have a jury and we have alternates. So they call up the first 18. And with every number, as you can imagine, I am dying. Because I do not want to hear my number because I do not want to be on the jury. I don't. I don't want to hear this case. So they call up number 37549, number 37624, number da da da, right? And they go and they go and they go and they get their 18 people. And none of those 18 people are your humble narrator. So now I can just sit back and listen to all these people answer the questions. Now, I don't remember the questions and they didn't let me keep the sheet, but I remember a couple of them. Now, one of them was something like, have you or any of your close friends or any of your family members ever had legal or law enforcement training? Now, for me, that is, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess I have a couple friends that are lawyers. Okay, fine. But the key ones that I remember were, have you ever been the victim of a crime? Or has your family member ever been the victim or a close friend ever been the victim of a crime? And then, you know, you will be expected to, uh, you know, maybe expound on that. So I start thinking, well, have I ever been the, the victim of a crime? And I'm like, well... You know, I think that neighbor of mine, Albert, broke into my house at one point and stole a bunch of CDs. I've had my car stolen. I've had the radio stolen out of my car a couple of times. I, I mean, I guess I'll mention the, you know, I guess I'll mention those. My family member and close friends, family crime. And then it dawn, it dawns on me. Oh, yeah, you know, I guess... um. I guess my Uncle Mike uh, was killed in a mass murder in San Francisco. I, I guess that would constitute a family member being the victim of a crime. Pretty sure mass murder is a crime. And then I guess Jeff and I were very close friends. I guess so a friend, another friend of mine was murdered and his body was left in a cornfield and the cops really never figured that out. And so I guess I really do have some answers to these questions. And I really don't want to discuss it, even for 10 seconds. Please don't call me up there, because I just don't want to discuss it. I've had a podcast for 10 years. I've discussed all this stuff. We've gotten over it. Right? Not gotten over it, but we've gotten, pa we've, we've gotten over the need to discuss it. And although I think about it, it doesn't, do you understand? We don't need to discuss it. You don't need to know. Do you really need to know? Is it really germane to the conversation, Tito? Do you understand? Is it really necessary to get into this? So as they're going through these 18 people with their 18 questions, you know that I'm just sitting there like, I don't want to talk about any of this. I just don't. Please just find your jury because I don't want to be up there answering these questions. So the first lady, juror number one, they say, juror number one, please. And you have to say all these things like, you can't say your name, but you can say, if you're, you have to say your marital status, how many kids you have, where they go to school, where you live, 
Have you ever served on a jury? And was it a civil or criminal case? And then they ask you all those questions, right? So juror number one, she she says, okay, well, I'm juror number one. Uh, I, uh, I'm uh, married and I live here and I do that and a thing and, uh, and I've not been on a jury or whatever, whatever. And they say, okay, well, have you ever done uh, have a crime or whatever, the, all the questions? And she may or may not have, have had a couple of questions. And then they ask her a question sort of like, well, do you think, because the, the prosecutor, basically, this is what it came down to. The prosecution had no evidence. Okay, so every question she had was basically this. Do you understand what circumstantial evidence means? Because I don't have hard evidence. Do you understand? Except she said it in power Asian female language. But that was her case. Her case is basically, listen, I have nothing. I, I don't, I, this isn't a TV show where I have DNA, do you understand, or fingerprints or anything. I have no hard evidence. So you idiots, you need to understand circumstantial evidence and you need to understand guilty within reason or I'm dead in the water. So somebody asks juror number one the question of like, do you think um, someone could be guilty of a crime or what? Well, I don't even remember what it was. But juror number one's answer was so beautiful. I wish I remembered it word for word. But it was essentially this. Well, I think we're all sinners in the eyes of Jesus. And then she gave her answer. Now, what was brilliant about that answer was it had been established earlier on in the case before we even got down to business, that this was a case uh, involving a theft or a presumed theft or some sort of home invasion or something. And it was established directly or indirectly that the defendant may or may not be a homosexual. And so this brilliant woman, because I knew she wasn't sticking around, this brilliant woman right out of the gate comes out with, we're all sinners in the eyes of Jesus. So I'm like, ah, oh, she's going home. So there's one empty seat that I might fill. Dang. But as the questions keep coming from for the people, right? That means questions are coming from the defense and from the prosecution. And interesting things, and I have to admit, my, my whole view of being on or off the jury really started to change because after a while I thought, you know what, if I didn't have to drive the kids around, I would love to stick around for this case because apparently not only is the guy allegedly gay, which is not nothing here or there, but apparently he, I don't know if he's house sitting and one of the, and well, do you believe he's house sitting and there may or may not have been a break-in or something, or an invasion, or he may have been coerced into stealing something or whatever. But at one point, one of the questions were, "Do would you, juror number four, would you have a strong opinion about a person? Would you be able to find a person innocent of a crime if you knew that they had been soliciting anonymous sex online? Just saying. This is just a random question that I'm pulling out of my hat. But just just hypothetically, would you, for instance, 
just let's just say hypothetically that my client uh, is soliciting anonymous sex uh, online from strangers that would come to a house that he's house sitting and perform sex acts. I'm just saying, hypothetically, would you would that get in your way of uh, uh, finding him innocent? Just saying. Juror number seven, would you be able to um, hear testimony with an open mind from someone that you knew was soliciting uh, sex online and having people come to uh, another person's home to perform these sex acts and they were also uh, uh, doing amyl nitrate and other illicit drugs? Would you be able to keep an open mind? Shadow of a doubt, you understand? Reasonable doubt, you understand? Reasonable doubt, no evidence, right? Because, you know, being on drugs and soliciting sex has nothing to do with whether or not he stole some stuff from the people that he was house-sitting from. Like, this is getting really good. But the guy looks like me, but taller. And he's in his gray suit. I'm like, what did you get yourself into, man? What did you get yourself into? Because I got news for you. The Jesus woman is definitely out. If not only just... I thought she was out when we found out you were gay and she said she, Jesus, but now that you're soliciting sex online while you're house sitting and doing poppers or whatever the hell you're doing and having guys come over. And then I don't know if a guy made you steal some stuff or give him some stuff or he stole. I don't know what is happening, but this sounds really good. So this goes on and on and on. And then we're dismissed. And then, for the day. We have lunch. We come back. Blah, 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 the day. Then we come back the next day. And it's the same thing the next day. Until they get all the way to 18. And you know who's going to go. Because the people that have a lot of questions about the questions. And have a lot of ways of qualifying their answers to the question. Well, well you know, someone once stole a thing. But it was a thing. Those people are trouble. And you know the attorneys don't want them. Right? So they start dismissing people. And juror number one, just like I called it, went. And the Manhattan Beach mom who asked way too many questions, she went. And the guy that seemed too stupid to answer any questions, he was gone. Anybody in the jury box that said they were an attorney, gone. Gone. It was a lot of empty seats. A lot of empty seats. Now, when I'm coming in on day two or three, (laughs) and this is going to sound horrible, and listen, listen, you know I love my gay and lesbian brothers and sisters. And this is not an anti-gay thing that I'm about to to say, but this is just general advice for you, whoever you are, if you're ever the defendant in a case where you're being accused of being on drugs and stealing stuff from people that you're house-sitting. Because I don't care if you're gay, I don't care if you're doing drugs or soliciting sex. Listen, man, that's your... Look, I got news for you. If straight guys thought they could solicit anonymous sex over the internet, we would do it all day long. So it has nothing to do with that. This just has to do with you're the defendant in a case. And when you're in there with the the prospective jury, you're wearing a suit and tie. So when I show up on day two or three or whatever it is, and you're getting out of your boyfriend's car 
don't be wearing what looks like what you slept in. He's wearing like a 20-year-old, some sort of, I don't know what, ripped up superhero or punk rock band t-shirt and like his slacks for the go to with his suit but they're not even buckled they're not zipped he's zipping this is in front of the courthouse he's zipping his pants he's putting on a dress shirt over this shitty band shirt and he's got his tie in his mouth his boyfriend looks like he just got off like a four-day bender in their shitty 25-year-old car where the door on the passenger side is a different color than the door on the driver's side is different than the color of the car. And I'm not saying you have to be rich to be a defendant. I'm saying, listen, if you're going to put on the show of wearing a suit, put on the show of getting dropped off elsewhere, putting on your clothes elsewhere, like, I don't know, before you show up, you don't get out of your car with your tie in your mouth, you moron. Because I was with you. I just, you know what? Listen, this is probably a decent guy. He was house sitting. He thought he'd have some fun. Maybe have a guy over, impress him with this cool house he's sitting in. Something got out of hand. The guy uh, made him steal some stuff. I get it. But when you show up with co- at court with your pants undone and your tie in your mouth, you are showing an insane lack of judgment. Insane being the opera, insane lack of judgment. So the day goes on, they, they boot those jurors. They boot the attorneys. One of the attorneys didn't even show back up. He was late after lunch. They booted him just for not even being there, but they would have booted him anyway. Trust me. And then they got to start refilling the jury box. So number uh, 2749, please take seat number one. Juror number 279305-79, take juror seat number four. Juror, and I'm waiting, and I know it's coming, but it's not coming. They're ticking away all these seats. They get through the entire jury box, and they have not called me. There's only two seats left. This is my lucky day. I got to own, right? I got to survive two more numbers and I'm golden. Two more numbers and I'm golden. Juror number 27306. Oh, shit. That's me. So I go and I take my seat in the front row, in front of the jury box, immediately in front of the stenographer, in the second-to-last alternate seat. They call up one more guy, 27471. And he comes in, and as he's walking by, I go, we were so close. So they go through every, so now they, right? They got to go through all these questions with everybody. They go through everybody. They get to me and I'm, oh God, I just don't. Uh, I just don't. Well, I, I, uh, I live in Westchester. I am married. My wife is in the advertising industry. I have two children. They, uh, 
One goes to school in Westchester, Playa Vista. One goes in Santa Monica. I have never been on a jury before. Okay, well, have you the sheet and the questions? Do you have answers to the questions? <laughs> yes, I do. Someone stole my car. And someone stole my radio a couple times. And, you know, mass murder. And, you know, cornfield. And the judge goes, oh, wow. Okay. Well, does anyone have any questions for juror number 17? I don't remember their questions. I really don't. The defense attorney asked me something. And I really don't remember what it was. And I don't remember what he said. I don't remember what I said. I do remember he had to repeat it because I was so amped up on adrenaline and I don't know what. Just the anticipation of grief that I could barely understand anything that was happening. The defense attorney, or excuse me, the prosecuting attorney, the power Asian woman, she asked me something about my friend Jeff. And she said, did they ever solve that? And I said, no. I haven't heard anything. It's been a long time. And she said, do you find it frustrating that the police haven't uncovered a suspect? And I said, yes, very. And they said I could go. Apparently, they don't want anyone on a jury who's mad at the cops or frustrated by the cops or not open-minded to the investigation of the cops. Someday there will be new information about Jeff. But not then. I think Jeff would actually be happy that I was able to get out of jury duty. But I'd rather do jury duty. And then complain about it to him on this podcast. So some friends of ours were coming in from out of town. Our friends Wendy and Svika. 
When does Fika live in uh, Manhattan? In Chelsea. And um, they've been store owners, retail store owners for I don't know, 15 years, 20 years or something. Very successful uh, establishments uh, around Manhattan. At one time, they had four stores that were called Verve. But they've retired very recently and came out to L.A. to visit a, an old friend and to visit us. And it was kind of a big deal because they've been so busy with their stores in Manhattan for so long. They've, they haven't been since we got married. And listen, I've been married for, I think, 21 years. 22, yeah. So Wendy and Svika were coming. So whenever you know people are coming, you start to look at your house in, with new eyes. The eyes of someone who's never seen your house. See, when I see my house, I don't see 15, 20 years worth of children's fingerprints going up every doorframe in the house. The lower ones are teeny and the higher ones are larger and they're everywhere. Chipped paint, scuffs on the walls, this extension cord in the backyard, that thing here, that thing there. So Melissa and I had these lists of things that we really wanted to do before Wendy and Svika got here. And then there had been some idle threats too. I shouldn't say idle threats, but there had been some mention of maybe some members of her family were going to come out. So I was like, okay, we, we definitely got to get this done. So that's largely what I'd been doing for a, a week or so. So last week... So they were here, well, it's almost a week ago now, but they were here last uh, Sunday, I guess it was. So I think it was on Friday. I was coming back out to the backyard because, you know, I'm, in I'm a man. I'm in charge of the backyard, of course, except the weeding. Thank you. So I had to come out here because I wanted to rewire uh, this electrical outlet and cut these extension cords and make them shorter so they would go in here. And I put in a new socket under this tree and then hang a light at the tree and hang a light at the barbecue out here at the scissors. Okay. So it involves screwdrivers and wire cutters and stripping wires and the ladder and the this and that and all this stuff. Can you hear the plane going by? So I had come into the house to get something or do something. I don't even know what. And I look out the back of the house through my son Hudson's door. And I see in the backyard a rat. Now we get squirrels, possums, mice, crows. Uh, those are the main ones. I don't know if I've, I've seen more than one rat in the 15, 16 years that we've lived here. But there he is. He's skipping over the path to go from the kind of gardeny side of the path, across the path to the kind of like these little, this junkus grass or whatever it's called. Okay, there's a rat. So I go out the back door and I look and there he is. He's hiding behind the junkus grass, between the junkus grass and the little wall. So I'm like, what the, I, I can't work out here knowing there's a rat there. It's too weird. I'm not afraid that it's going to bite me or anything like that. I'm, it's just weird to know there's a rat there hiding when I'm moving around the backyard. So I go in the house and I said, Hudson, hey, Hudson, you want to see a rat? And he says, yeah. Now, I didn't expect him to say yes. I got to admit it. I thought he was going to say, no, I don't care. And then I was going to go get some sort of broom handle or something. I was going to poke him in the rear and he was going to run away. Instead, I go in the house. I say, Hudson, you want to see a rat? He says, yes. I go to get a pole 
So I get a long piece of PVC piping that we have from, uh, what's well, actually not from the sprinkler system. It's from this frame that we build whenever we do green screen video work. Oh, well, we're geeks. So I get one of the green screen frame poles. It's a PVC pipe. And I say to Hudson, so here's the rat. I'll show you where he is. I'm going to give him a little poke and get him to run away. So he runs away. Now, I think I'm going to poke the rat and he's going to run away and he's going to run out of our yard. Right? Now, our yard is walled in. There's walls around most of it that you can't get under. But you could easily climb over the wall if you were a rat. Isn't that how rats do it? Or he could run the perimeter and he'd get to where there's a fence and he could dig. Or there's a part where you just right under the fence. That would be the easiest thing. Now, if I needed to, I would kind of poke and guide him out the front so he could go next door. I don't, you know, whatever. That's their problem. So I go, I get Hudson, I get the pole, I go to the rat, I go, look, Hudson, there's a rat right there. And he's like, where? I poke the rat, the rat comes out. And it was the cutest rat, I got to admit, that I've ever seen. I expected a rat to look rat-like and disgusting. This was kind of a cute, almost maybe, um, you know, pet food, pet food, <laughs> that's funny, pet store looking rat. He was a very nice looking rat. As rats go, very attractive. Very much an L.A. camera-ready rat. So the stupid rat, though, because it's a rat, it is stupid. It, so it jumps. See, I think it's just going to run along the little short wall. And when I say short, I mean it's only about a cinder block or two high. It's just a little thing that elevates this little area where we sit. No, he doesn't run along it. He gets up onto it. Hudson and I start yelling at him to like, no, run that way. He ignores us. He climbs up a tree. Like this orange tree, it grows uh, mandarin, not mandarin oranges, but kind of like mandarin oranges, sour oranges. I don't know. Some sort of sour oranges. Maybe they're kumquats. I don't know. There's been some dispute. But he runs up into the orangey kumquatty tree. So now there's a rat, not, not in the bush where I could have handled it. He's in a tree. Well, he's so far up the tree, and I don't want to keep poking him with a stick because I don't want him to get to a point where he has to jump on my face, right? Because that's really going to be the last refuge of the rat is eventually if I taunt him high enough up this tree, where's he going to go? But on my face, that's going to be the best place to land. So Hudson says he's going in the house and I say, man, forget it. So I just go, I just go about my business and forget about the rat. And I don't see the rat and I look for the rat and I never see the rat again. The rat's gone. So I continue with my work and then I got to go get my daughter and then the day kind of just goes along. So the next day I have more work to do because again, we've put in this new socket and then I got to do something else to the other socket. I got to rehang this wire and I got to shorten that and I got to shorten that and I got to attach that to the right. So there's plenty to do. So the next day I'm hanging a new light over the grill and I've got the uh, ladder and everything. And the dog follows me out. Now, you know, we have a dog named Hugo. And he's a tiny, tiny dog. And I always call him a rat-faced dog because, honestly, he looks like a rat. He has vermin teeth and a nose that is very uh, kind of light brown. And he looks like a rat to me. I'm just saying he looks like a rat. I call him a rat-faced dog. Everybody in the family is very angry that I do that. But that's what happens. 
So the rat-faced dog is outside with me as I'm setting up the ladder. And I look, and over near the socket, which is on this cement slab that we have in the backyard, okay? The old socket, not the new one, the old socket. The dog is sniffing something. And you know how dogs sometimes sniff in an innocent way and then sometimes sniff in a really overly excited way? Well, the last time I saw him overly excitedly sniff something like that, I think it was like a dead crow or something or a baby possum or something that I had to get him away from right away. So I go over to see what the dog's doing. The dog is sniffing. You heard me. The rat. Now, how is it that this dog can just be standing there sniffing a rat and the rat is just standing there being sniffed is beyond me. And I look and it is a rat. It's a rat and it's not dead. That was my first thought was, is this rat dead? He's sniffing dead rat. But no, the rat is breathing. He's alive, right? He's doing his thing, but he's not biting Hugo and he's not running away. This is a weird rat, more stupid than I ever imagined when he ran up the tree. So I shoo Hugo away enough to grab up Hugo because I don't want to grab Hugo because then I'll get bit by a rat. So I shoo Hugo away. I grab Hugo. I take him in the house and I go, listen, girls. Remember how I said there was a rat in the backyard yesterday? Well, the rat is back and Hugo sniffed him and you were going to give him a bath anyway. I'm just saying he might have rat on his rat face. The rat faced dog has rat on his. He actually literally is a rat faced dog. You need to bathe this dog right away. I need to get rid of the rat that for some reason is just sitting around on the slab. But by the time we negotiate the bath, because see, the dog went out there to pee. And I don't know if the dog ever peed because I wasn't watching the dog and the dog wasn't out there the whole time, uh, the whole normal duration that you'd let a dog be out there to pee because the dog saw a rat. So I don't know if the dog didn't pee because the dog saw a rat. So, but because the dog saw a rat, it might be full of pee. And you can't put a pee filled dog into a bathtub because then you'll have a pee filled bathtub soaking a dog in a pee filled bath. Do you understand? So, so I have to take the dog out the front on a leash, let him pee, bring him in give him back to my wife who's going to bathe him. By the time I go out there, the rat is, of course, gone. Now, my plan was, because the rat didn't want to run away from Hugo, I thought, well, there's maybe something wrong with the rat. I'll admit the rat looked a little dazed. It looked like maybe it had... How do I put this? It looked like some of its fur was a little wet, but not... Now, listen, this isn't gross. I'm not saying it was bloody. But it could have been in, in a dog's mouth or something. But I'm, again, it didn't look like it had been bitten. It wasn't bloody. It wasn't punctured. His entrails were inside. It just looked dazed and like its back had was wettish, but only in a couple strips. So I thought, well, if this rat isn't going to run away when a dog comes to sniff it, I'm going to maybe be able to get out my shovel and scoop up the rat if he's you know, maybe his leg is hurt or something, right? I'm going to be able to scoop up this rat and I'll just put him out the back. I'll open up the gate in the back. I'll put him out in the back. Then he can be out in the back. And then if he climbs back in, listen, okay, whatever. He wants to be here that badly. But then he'll just scurry down the road or up the road or whatever. It's not my problem. 
But by the time I go back out there after walking the dog, the rat is gone. I'm standing there. I got a shovel and I got no rat. So I go about hanging the light. I hang the light and I've got this cord for the light. And I run the cord where I'm going to run the cord along the eaves of the garage. And then I think even my wife comes out and looks at what I'm doing and says, well, the light looks good, but I still hate that cord. Let's figure out a way. Maybe we can shove it in a hole in the side of the garage. So we do all that anyway. So she goes back in the house. I'm working. And at some point, the rat is back. And I'm not joking. The rat is back in the exact spot it had been when Hugo sniffed it. Okay. Now I'm starting to wonder if there was ever a rat ever on the second day. Now, there was definitely a rat the first day because my son saw the rat. The rat that climbed up the tree, that's a real rat. For all I know, it's still up there. And this other rat, the the rat that doesn't run a right, maybe that's a ghost rat. Maybe that rat doesn't really exist because why does it keep materializing in the same spot? Maybe it's just a rat that I can see that the dog can see. I think that's possible. Because again, why would a rat that can barely move end up in one spot, disappear, and then end up again in the same exact spot? Doesn't make any sense. We don't keep cheese there. So I go and look at the rat and I examine. I don't touch the rat, but I look at the rat. I examine, visually examine this rat. It is not missing any legs. It has its tail. Its back still has the, the, these little wet stripes. But again, no punctures. Entrails all where they should be. It's not blinking that much, but I don't know if rats are supposed to blink. But it's definitely breathing. It's alive. So I think, son of a dog, I'm gonna go get my shovel. And I'm and listen, I'm gonna. I want to give you some foreshadowing. I do not beat the rat to death with the shovel. I just want to tell you that right now. Okay. The shovel, it says there's something violent sounding about me getting a shovel and dealing with a rat. I know that there's something kind of weird about that. But listen, my plan is, again, just to use the shovel as a carrying device, a long handled carrying device. So I go get the shovel. It's this awesome old flat fronted shovel shovel. It's an actual shovel, not a spade, a shovel that I got from my father and my grandfather. So it's just awesome. It's rusted and the wood handle has no paint on it. It's, it's perfect for this scene. The scene in my mind that we're doing, it's perfect. This is a perfect prop shovel. So I go up to the rat. Now keep right. This rat is not dead. So the rat does not want to be shoveled. So I try to shovel up the rat and the rat just is like, Bloop, and it takes a couple steps. Like, no, you don't shovel me, man. I'm a rat. Rats don't get shoveled. But the rat won't run away. And as it's off the shovel, you know, I haven't lifted it yet. I just put it under and it just like walks off. It walks off with no limping, no pain. It doesn't make any sounds, nothing. There's, it's just the weirdest thing. It's just a stubborn or crazy or stupid rat. Stupid or crazy or stubborn rat that doesn't realize how stupid or crazy stubborn I am. I continue to try to shovel up this rat 
and it goes off the thing again. And But I swear it does that three times. And then on the fourth time, it's like, F it. If this guy wants to shovel me up, let's see what happens. So I shovel, right? I get the shovel under the rat. The rat does not blow off the shovel. He's standing off on the shovel. And I slowly, in case he's going to jump, because I don't want to hurt him. I really don't. Because he's not a possum. If it was a possum, I think I would have chopped his head off with a hoe. I'm just saying there's some violent reaction I have to possums that I'm, I have to fight. I slowly lift up the rat. And I think the rat is looking at me like, don't mess this up, man. Now, I have already unlocked the gate because you, you have to have two hands to unlock this gate. It's a, it's a long story. I've already unlocked the gate, so I just have to push the gate open with my foot. So I push the gate open. I'm slowly, right, I'm carrying a rat on a shovel. I'm hoping none of the neighbors are putting out their garbage cans or anything, putting them in the back of the houses right on this alley behind our house. No, no one's out there seeing me shoveling a rat. So I take the rat and I set him down very gently. And I look at him. He's still breathing. He's still looking at me. He's not moving. He doesn't run away. I'm like, this is the craziest thing. But I'm like, okay, rat. So you don't need to come back. You're out of my backyard. I'm going to keep my dog away from you. Okay. Can't control the cats in the area. They're everywhere. But this, this is your place now. Goodbye. I have electrical work to do. I locked, shut, locked the gate. I go about my day. We finish hanging the light. It looks great. It did. I ended up feeding it through this hole in the garage and then stringing the light over the studio or the wire through the, the thing and thing. And it works. So there's now not this ridiculous cord on the eaves of the garage. That thing's hung and then everything's hung. And this is fixed and that's fixed and everything. We're ready for our guests. Winnie's figure coming the next day. I'm so excited. But I have to know. I have to know about the rat. And so I go out there and I open the gate and I go to the right there where I left the rat and there's the rat exactly where I left him. Now, this isn't that strange because exactly where I left him before and then him being there now, that's not that crazy because before... He was someplace and then he disappeared and then he, right, he ended up back there. So this rat being in the same place isn't that crazy, especially if it's not a real rat, if it's just a figment of my imagination rat. So I look at the rat and I can't tell, but I'm pretty sure that he's no longer with us. He doesn't seem to be breathing, but... You know, with my eyesight, I, I maybe I have to get really close to this rat to see if it's breathing, which I don't really want to do. Right? How close do you want to get to a rat? Even a rat that is not moving around a lot. I don't know the details of this rat's medical history. I don't want to get intimately involved, and I certainly don't want to get a rabies shot. So we're not getting that close. But he isn't moving. And I looked to see if he's blinking, but I remember he wasn't blinking before. And before when he wasn't blinking, he was able to off the shovel, right? That's true. Now, listen, I'm not proud of this part of the story, but I don't 
know what other way to find out if this rat is living. I can't see if it's breathing. I can't tell if it's blinking. And there are no sticks behind the wall. I was going to just get a stick and just right poke him with a stick. But there aren't that many sticks. I don't live in the forest. I live in Los Angeles. There aren't sticks behind my wall. There's loose gravel. Little bits of old gravel from the old original 1948 gravel. There is some of that gravel back there. So, again, I am not proud of this, but I may or may not have dropped a piece of gravel on the rat's back. Not his head, because I didn't want to be that cruel in case it was living. I thought I would just drop a little piece of gravel, see if it flinched. That would be enough not to hurt him, okay? But it kind of made a sound. And it's a very specific sound And I don't know if that hollow sound is from blood not circulating or what, but he was no longer on this side of the mortal coil. So I said goodbye, Ratatouille. Safe journey. Because that's what Hassan had called him. We were jokingly referring to him as Ratatouille. So I felt kind of bad. And I did say goodbye. Goodbye, Ratatouille. I suppose I should try to find time to bury you. But we do have guests coming. I don't know when I'm going to find time. But I will come out here with my spade. Hopefully. And I will bury you, Ratatouille. And then I went into the backyard and I locked the gate and I cleaned up my tools. Now, I have to admit that I did forget about the rat because I felt like I had dealt with the rat with respect. I did not hurt the rat. I admit if he had been living when I dropped that little piece of gravel, I'm telling you it was a little piece of gravel. He, he may have been bothered by that, but I don't think it would have injured him in any way at all. Okay. I was very proud of myself for getting all uh, the work done. Right? So, we're on a time schedule here, though, that Sunday morning. Because Wendy and Svika, our friends from New York, are coming. But Hudson has stayed overnight at his buddy's house. So, I got to go get Hudson. We are going to go to Costco because I got to pick up some things at Costco before Wendy and Svika get here. Okay? So, I go get Hudson. He and I go to Costco. It's not the usual Costco. And it's Sunday. And I don't know about you, but boy, Costco on a Sunday. It's full of amateurs. So, we get out of Costco. We drive home and we pull in the driveway and I can hear through the open window that Wendy and Svika have already arrived, which was not the plan. Darn it. So I say to Hudson, Hudson, go in the house. I'm going to put this stuff in the garage and then I'm going to swing around and I'll meet you in the house. And he says, okay. And I, he goes in the front door. I go around the back. I go through the big you know, driveway gate, I open up the garage and Melissa, my wife, she sticks her head out the back door and with a big smile and a kind of like a faux offhanded tone of voice, she says, hey, honey, did you see the message that I sent you, the text? And I say, no, is everything okay? And she says, like really doing a pretty good job of making it sound really lighthearted, but I can kind of tell that there's something up. Well, you should you should read uh, the text that I sent you. And um, 
And yeah, just uh, don't come in. Just uh, read the text. And then, uh, you know, when you speak or here, so read the text. <laughs> and I'm like, where the hell is she going with this whole like read the text thing? Like what could possibly be so important? So I pull out my phone. And my phone says. The rat is on the wall. You need to get it off of there right away. The crows are eating the rat on top of the wall. Please get rid of it now. Somehow, Ratatouille ended up on top of the wall, the back wall, the big six foot back wall, the dead rat is on top of the wall and they're recreating a scene from Edgar Allan Poe directed by Alfred Hitchcock on the edges of my backyard upon the arrival of our friends that haven't been here in 22 years. And the first thing that comes to my mind is, oh my God, that rat is real. All right, thanks for listening to The Bitterest Pill. Oh, shoot. Oh, shoot. I didn't look up who um, is uh, Patreoning the show this, this time. Did I? Hold on. Well, you know what? I have no internet access in here, so I'm going to have my faithful assistant read the names. Uh, Olga. Is it Olga or Inga? Inga? Olga? Inga. Inga. Do you remember when I had a digital uh, uh, assistant named Inga? My SNM Siri. Inga, who uh, is supporting the show this uh, episode on Patreon? No problem, lover. This episode of The Bitterest Pill is supported by Patreon patrons Dave Jackson, Mike Hamilton, Flores, Harold Goldner, Tom Carroll, David Chase, and Gerard Cortinez, Chris Glass, Scott Mercer, and Michael Serial. Back to you, boss. Excellent. So thank you to all of you for supporting the show and all of those that I did not mention for supporting the show. I do appreciate it. if you want to support the show through Patreon, uh, you go to thebitterspill.com and there's a link there somewhere, I'm sure. Uh, the Collaborative Filmmakers Challenge has put uh, Melophobia Americana online. I will put a link to it on the um, at the website. Uh, although one of the, li- I assume is one of the listeners, somebody wrote me a post on the, actually it was on like a news post on the Bitter's Pill website for the Patreon thing or something that pointed out a little technical snafu from uh, Melanomia, Melophobia, Americana. <laughs> That's the next movie I'm making is Melanomia. Um, yeah, very basic filmmaking rule that I broke, which would explain why I've always had trouble with that scene. Anyway, so... Uh, Anyway, if you want to see Melophobia Americana, go to thebitterspill.com and there will be a link there. Uh, yeah, because it was, you know, it was made for the challenge. It's online. That was really all it was ever meant to be. So uh, if you'd like to see it, there it will be. Um, yeah. Did I get a did I get a URL for that? I don't even remember now. Anyway, listen, I'm babbling. Thanks for listening. Uh, the the shows will be. I gotta start doing shows more frequently. I've just been so 
uh, busy with straightening the house. The kids are out of school. We're kind of adjusting to that. Hudson and I are back at the dojo, so I'm sure we'll have some good karate and tai chi stories coming. Um, I told you the rat story just now. What else? Well, things have just things happen, you know. I hope you're well. I hope you're having a wonderful summer. I hope you have a wonderful Fourth of July, Americans. Uh, and um, yeah. Well, whatever. Listen, follow me on Twitter because I'm on Twitter, man. Follow me at Facebook. On both Facebook and Twitter, I am Dan Class. D-A-N-K-L-A-S-S. Um, and I keep trying to use Periscope, but it's just not working. I need to um, I need to get a better internet connection here in the studio and stop complaining about it. What do you say? If you have a recommendation, let me know. My name is Dan. Uh, I really do sincerely appreciate you listening to these. I'm sorry that I keep mispronouncing words when I'm all hyped up on migraine medicine. I find it infuriating when I mispronounce words, but I'm... I, I, talking so quickly <laughs> anyway thanks for listening i do appreciate it tell a friend okay uh have a great fourth have a safe fourth for those of you uh not here in the united states um i love you anyway The Bitter's Pill is produced by Jacket Media, makers of fine podcasts since 2004. That's 